This is Perspectives, the show where a conversation about our many differences often shows us how much we really have in common. I'm Condis Presley. We've got a very special guest with us for this part of the show. She is Chesley Christ, former Miss USA in the year 2019, and at the time, one of the Black Trifecta Queens. You remember when Miss World, Miss Universe, and even Miss America were all Black and all on top at the same time. Now, Chesley is going through an exciting period of time. She's recently been named a correspondent for the program Extra, and now, true to her legal professional roots, she's also been named as the first ever diversity advisor for the law firm Pointer Spruill. The prestigious Charlotte, North Carolina firm is one of the country's oldest. Its roots go back to the 1800s. Chesley, thanks so much for stopping by to say hello, to talk about all of the amazing things that you're doing, and especially this new role that you have. And I hope that I pronounced the name of the firm correctly. I wouldn't want to get something so prestigious incorrect, but you're the first ever diversity advisor for a a big firm in the Deep South. Yeah, yeah. And thank you for the introduction. Absolutely. You got the firm name right and everything. Yeah, I'm proud to be you know, connected with, uh, with Pointer School. Like you said, we were based in North Carolina, um, got a few offices in several different cities there. Uh, I worked there as, as a civil litigation attorney before I won Miss USA. So it's nice to remain connected to that firm. Has it ever struck you as odd that as a former contestant in a, in a pageant, as a pageant competitor, that people perceived pageant competitors as not necessarily being bright because you're bright and you're beautiful and you've worked as a civil litigator and are now working as the diversity advisor to a, a big city law firm? Uh, you know, it's not surprising, but it is disappointing for sure. You know, I got tons of questions about um, my career path and how it was at all connected to being Miss USA. And I think that um, question stems from people's stereotype, the stereotype that people associate with pageants, like, you know, women who compete in pageants are one-dimensional or that we're stupid or that we have nothing else going for us but but want to just, you know, parade around in gowns and swimsuits all the time. And that couldn't be further from the truth, I think, especially if you look at, you know, the recent classes of Miss USAs and, you know, recent Miss USA title holders, where the organization has really uh, taken strides to make sure that people can hear the accomplishments we have. Because I think, you know, women who have competed in pageants, um, you know, in, in, in the history of Miss USA and, and Miss America and many other systems have consistently been incredibly accomplished and smart. But for some reason, you know, people just didn't think about that. They didn't focus on that. And so I'm glad that the organization has in recent years to help destroy that stereotype. Our country is in a very unique place in this next phase of American history where women of color, and we are talking during Women's History Month, so thank you for joining me for this today, are really beginning to claim our spot as the leaders that we are in our communities. How excited are you to be a leader in this space at this time? I'm thrilled. I give last year, obviously, when there is global unrest because of, uh, you know, what, ha- what was happening in, in the States as far as, you know, the murder of George Floyd, the, the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement. I was glad to be Miss USA during that time. And I'm glad even now to have a platform where I can talk about issues that matter to me. Um, you know, I, I, as a correspondent on Extra TV, you know, I've contributed my thoughts on the recent insurrection 
um, that happened in D.C. I've talked about um, Black Lives Matter. I've talked about racial inequality. I've talked about the pandemic and what's happening. So I'm glad I still have a voice, even though I'm no longer a, a pageant title holder. And being in a position to use your voice to talk about issues that are important to you. We can't have this conversation on this day without my asking you, did you watch the Oprah interview and what did you think? Oh, I definitely watched it. Yeah, I was glad that, you know, Megan talked about in the interview, she talked about having a voice and how she advocates for people and she felt silent um, during her time, uh, you know, within the firm. And I'm glad that now she has the opportunity to talk about her experiences and really, you know, raise the issues that, that she faced as far as mental health um, and, you know, not feeling that her voice was being welcomed by the people around her. Because I'm certain that there are people, women, especially across the world that are dealing with similar issues, especially now that we've been in, you know, this global pandemic for a year now. There are plenty of people who are dealing with depression, who are dealing with suicidal thoughts. And so I'm glad that she shared that so that other people know you're not alone and what you're experiencing isn't strange or weird. In fact, many people are experiencing the same feeling. And it's important that you get help and that you, you know, prioritize your own mental health. I certainly could not imagine that someone in that position could go to human resources at the institution, as she called it, and ask for help, say, I need help. And the feedback was, there's nothing we can do for you. And then to get the terrible backlash that has resulted after the interview, how do you think this turns out? Well, you know, I think we're, we're sort of seeing that now. I mean, it's only been, what, two days, and so many people, like I said, are talking about many of the issues that, that Megan and Terry and Oprah were discussing together. Those issues included mental health, they included racism, they included equality, they included women's empowerment, and all of those issues are now, uh, you know, people are addressing them in every space all over the world. You know, obviously, people are addressing them on the news. There are plenty of newscasters and, and insiders that are talking about it. But there are just people at home that are talking about these issues. And that is very important, that the result of Megan and Harry speaking out is that all of us um, are, are facing the same issues that she faced and hopefully coming to a resolution in different spaces, you know, personally and in, in businesses across this world. Have you ever been in a position where you have been, victim is not the word that I'm looking for, but where you've experienced the type of, of racism that, that Megan talked about? I mean, someone in the family said, well, we're just wondering what Archie's going to look like when he's born. How dark will his skin maybe be? I think many of us have faced microaggressions. I think many of us have faced uh, racist uh, statements that have made us feel uncomfortable or uh, made us feel objectified or less than. I think, you know, if you are a person of color, uh, you, you, I'm certain that, that, you know, many of us share that experience. If you're a woman, many of us share that experience. And especially if you are a woman of color um, or, you know, a trans woman of color or, you know, any of the, the levels of intersectionality that, that many of us face, you've heard those statements and you know that it is unnerving and um, it can be frightening, especially if you hear them from powerful people. Um, so, so I hope that what people took away from, from you know, these, these conversations is that you can do something, you should do something, and it is okay for um, you to uh, you know, speak up. You shouldn't have to sit there and, and face those microaggressions alone and think that nothing can be done because something should be done. And, you know, sometimes the first step is just speaking out. 
But what if those microaggressions come from someone who is in a superior position in an organization, who controls your 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 paycheck, your pocketbook, who could possibly cost you your job? And a woman, especially a woman of color, is fearful of speaking up because she has to provide for her home. Yeah, I think that's the situation, the realistic situation that many people face. And I think that um, it's unfortunate that we have been faced with those decisions because you're right. There are many people who are like, well, what can I do? I have to feed my family. There are people who depend on me. Um, but I think the good thing is that society as a whole is, is progressing in great ways. You know, we saw the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement. We saw incredible steps that were taken by tons of organizations. You know, I was happy to see, you know, this is some of the simple things like, you know, Nike and some other huge companies uh, began to recognize Juneteenth as a paid company holiday. That is a huge step um, towards building more inclusive environments and workplaces and in spaces across this country. I think Gen Z, you know, is one of the generations that expects that kind of inclusivity and diversity. And so, you know, slowly but surely we are moving forward. And, you know, I think everybody deals with those microaggressions differently. Um, I've dealt with them differently than my mom has dealt with them. And so, you know, hopefully that, you know, the, the progress that we're experiencing will continue to change those workplaces so that people do feel comfortable reporting that kind of, um, you know, that kind of behavior and conduct. And so that the people who perpetuate that kind of you know, negativity um, are moved out of those companies or are trained um, and educated adequately so that they don't continue to perpetuate that kind of um, behavior. Now, uh, Chesley, you grew up in Charlotte and you had some inside knowledge as a little girl going into the pageant scene because it's something that your mom had done, right? Yes, yeah. She competed and, and won Mrs. North Carolina U.S. 2002. Uh, she won when I was like 11 or 12 years old, so I grew up around her. What does she think of the success that you're enjoying now, all the many things that you're doing? Uh, she couldn't be prouder. You know, that's, that's how moms are. They're, they're just incredibly excited for you and, and every single success. You know, my mom has been to every single pageant I've ever competed in. She was there when I won Miss USA. She was there when I won my state title. And she's been there when I lost. I think that was the important thing, that, that she was there for me and proud of me, whether I took home a crown or not. And that is, I think, the true essence of, of a mom, a loving and caring mom. And now she gets to watch you nightly on a national entertainment news magazine at Extra. How did that happen? Oh, well, I, I started as a, a special correspondent for Extra when I was Miss USA. And, you know, the first three interviews I did were Millie Bobby Brown, Lizzo, and Zendaya, which were incredible. I was so happy to get to talk to each of these, you know, incredibly powerful women and accomplished women. And, you know, we went from there. You know, I, I did more interviews. I got to interview, um, you know, Terrence Howard and Taraji P. Henson on the set of Empire. And Terrence told me then that he would um, no longer be asking that, that Empire was going to be his last role. And we broke the news on that subject. And after that, you know, I was hired as a full-time correspondent with Extra. So I'm, I'm glad that I get to work with them. I work with an incredible team here in New York. Um, I love you know, being able to report on stories that I like. And I like that I get to talk to tons of interesting people. You are like our forever first lady, Michelle Obama, in that you are a woman with a law degree and you're not necessarily using it to practice law. How has that background prepared you in this world of journalism that you've moved into where you're having an opportunity to talk to interesting people each and every day? 
Yeah, I, I think there are tons of there, there's tons of overlap between journalism and law. I mean, obviously, you know, I practiced as a civil litigation attorney. There were times when I would be in hearings and I would be surprised by something that the judge said, or I'd have to, you know, respond or think quickly and think on my feet uh, based on something that you know opposing counsel said. And I think that's what you have to do in interviews as well. You never know what somebody's going to say, how somebody's going to answer, and you really have to think on your feet so that you know the right follow-up questions. Uh, you have to make sure that you're listening. Uh, to, to what people are telling you so that you can respond um, and so that you sort of stay on track during the interview. All of those skills you learn uh, in law school as an, and as an attorney, or there, you know, there are certainly skills that I learned, especially as a civil litigation attorney. So like I said, tons of overlap. I think you know, the, the ethical side of, of the legal profession and journalism, there's tons of overlap there. Uh, and like I said, I, just, I get to work with great uh, team members in both spaces, which I really appreciated because certainly, yeah, although some people think that attorneys work alone, we certainly do not. You know, there are tons of times where I uh, relied heavily on paralegals or on other attorneys with my firm, and I do the same as a journalist. The producers I work with, the cameramen I work with, everybody around me just makes me a better reporter. I'm glad to have them. There are many great things going on in entertainment right now, especially when it comes to African-American culture. What have you enjoyed most recently? Uh, with regard to entertainment and African-American culture? Yes. Uh, well, yeah, I think that you know, one of the issues that I talked about recently was colorism in TV news. And you know, I, I think that you know, being aware of some of the issues that we face is really important. But the good thing is that, you know, we're, we're experiencing this worldwide shift and this worldwide, um, you know, awareness of some of the issues that we face. So, you know, colorism and racism, although they're issues that we still continue to face, I think we are still also facing a lot of progress and change, and that has been enjoyable. How have you fared during the pandemic? Yeah, I, I've got to appreciate the space I'm in. You know, I was, during the entire pandemic, at one point in time, I had two jobs. I was Miss USA, uh, which was a salaried position, and I was also working with Extra as a correspondent. And I think that's a position that um, not everybody has had. There are tons of people that were facing homelessness, that were facing joblessness, and I can't imagine how difficult it must have been for them. So I'm very appreciative of, you know, the, the opportunities that I've had. Um, and, and seriously, the, you know, the privileges that I've had because of my, my role as Miss USA and my role as an entertainment news correspondent. So I'm, I'm just thankful. I've been thankful throughout the, the pandemic and glad that, um, you know, we've experienced some progress, glad that, you know, we, we've got, you know, the vaccine that's coming. It looks like, you know, in May, um, I think the president reported that, you know, every adult in the U.S. who wants a vaccine would have access to it. So I'm glad for that and appreciative. You remain a very young woman, but as you look back on the little girl who saw her mom win a crown and use those resources for education, are you doing exactly what you thought you would be doing at this point in your life? No, not at all. You know, when I was in high school, I thought I was going to be an attorney. I thought that was really going to be the end-all, be-all of my career. In fact, I wanted to go to law school because I thought I would go into politics and one day run for Congress or, or want to, you know, run for or, or, you know, eventually become a Supreme Court justice or been appointed to that space. So, so I think that this sort of left turn that I've taken has been incredibly enjoyable. At, you know, at the point that I'm at right now, I could not imagine me doing anything but what I'm doing. But when I was younger, you know, I thought it, being an attorney was going to be it. And I think that's an important message for people that, 
you know, deciding what you want to do for the rest of your life at the age of 18 isn't something that's, that's always realistic. You know, a lot of us end up being adults thinking, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? I thought I decided it. And now is it too late to shift? And my message is that, no, it's not. What, you know, there, there's never a time when you've reached an age that you can't start something anew. And, you know, at 30, you know, there are so many new things that I'm doing now that, like I said, I, I, I wouldn't have imagined that I do, but I, I love what I'm doing. And I love the space I'm in. You definitely are an inspiration to others. I'm sure there are people who inspire you. Are there, besides your mother, who else could there be? Because I know our moms, we all love our moms. Oh, for sure. But yeah, absolutely. My mom is a huge inspiration. She's the reason I continue in practice. So there are so many other people um, who are around me who I have access to, or people who I haven't even met who inspire me. Um, You know, a good friend of mine is Mia Franklin, who is Miss America 2019. She's um, incredible. I think she's accomplishing so many great things. Another friend of mine is Ebony K. Williams. She's going to be the first black uh, uh, housewife on Real Housewives of New York. She's incredibly inspirational. Every time I talk to her, this woman is starting a new project or accomplishing something new, and it's fun to follow her journey. Um, and then, you know, beyond that, there are tons of other journalists who inspire me. I mean, Oprah, Gail King, Robin Roberts are, you know, incredible in, in each of their respective spaces, and I've got tons of respect for them. So, so many people who inspire me day by day, and I'm glad that, you know, I've gotten to meet some of them and glad that I have so many inspirational people, even close to me in my own circle. Chesley, you've accomplished so much. What are some of your other goals and aspirations as you look ahead to perhaps what might be next for you? What else are you working on? Uh, well, right now, I, I actually just launched uh, a store. I, I, you know, I've had a blog, White Collar Glam, for several years, and I wrote about um, women's workwear fashion, how we can you know, look to resources and outfit inspiration to make sure that we're prepared for the workplace. And today I launched an online boutique where I'm selling jewelry for women for the same reason, for us to be prepared for the workplace. So I'm so excited, thrilled to be entering this new space of entrepreneurship. And I'm glad about the people who have already supported me. I mean, I actually opened my store a week before my official launch to some of my email subscribers. And they sold out several of my items and have I've bought so many items in other areas. I seriously have like one or two items of like, you know, necklaces and some earrings and stock left. And so I'm, I'm glad for the support that I've gotten. I'm glad that, you know, people continue to support me and I'm excited about this new venture. Chesley, was there anything else that you wanted our listeners to know or that I didn't think to ask you in our brief time today? Oh, no, I think we talked about a great deal. Really, I'm just you know, grateful and excited about everything I'm doing with Extra and, you know, all the coverage that we've done. We've done tons of award show coverage recently. We just covered the Golden Globes. We covered the Critics' Choice Awards. So uh, this weekend, while I was watching the, the interview with Oprah and Megan and Harry, I was also flipping between that and the Critics' Choice Awards because I got to interview uh, Leslie Oda Jr., who just won for uh, a, a Critics' Choice Award for the song that he wrote for One Night in Miami Speak Now. We're going to be covering the Grammy Awards coming up and obviously the Oscars. So we've got tons of coverage, and I'm glad to be able to work with, with Extra and on the team. Now through March 28th, the Atlanta Preservation Center invites you to enjoy Phoenix Flies, a celebration of our city's amazing historic sites. And joining me now is David Mitchell. David is the head of the Atlanta Preservation Center. Last time he and I talked, we were sitting face to face. Today we're on Zoom. David, thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me again. Is it fair to suggest that Phoenix Flies is the ultimate staycation for everyone who's been cooped up inside their homes for the past year? I would like 
to believe that everyone is going to be better after this entire year as far as being more thoughtful and more um, courteous to one another. I would also like to think that no one has a project doing their home anymore. Everyone should have every single thing done, every bathroom's repainted, every tile fixed, everything like that. And I'm delighted to give people a reprieve from that through um, what I consider to be the most altruistic thing the city of Atlanta um, puts out, which is Phoenix Flies through the Atlanta Preservation Center and a myriad of amazing partners. How will Phoenix Flies this year be different because of the pandemic? Well, this year um, we did a lot of uh, partner spotlights so different individuals, groups, um, spaces that normally would be available to us that you know had not been able to be activated or be able to be a part of it due to COVID. Um, we have highlighted them still to give kind of like a tour guide, if you will, to the printed book um, that everyone who's a member will receive. And you can pick up if you come here to the Atlanta Preservation, I'll be happy to give you one. Um, but um, we have doing, we're doing a couple of virtual um, experiences. As everyone is zoomed out, we prefer to say a virtual experience. And, and um, we have a few on site. Um, we being, of course, are being very thoughtful, respectful, and aware of the conditions from CDC guidelines, state guidelines, city guidelines, and you know, telling everyone to be thoughtful, wear masks, um, socially distance, do all these things. But we have some really remarkable partners who've really been over backwards to create the kind of space to still allow um, certain on site tours, which we're very, very grateful for. What is the story behind the name Phoenix Flies? The Atlanta Preservation Center was born. Um, of the process of saving the Fox Theater. And then, so you have that kind of thing. The symbol, of course, of Atlanta is the Phoenix rising from the ashes. And so, you know, dare to dream, we are very pro, um, if you will, uh, enjoying the historical nature of the city. And the Phoenix flying represents what we do right, what we have done right, and what we continue to strive to do better in. And so the, by the Phoenix flying, what we're saying is that these are wonderful things about Atlanta uh, across the board and we want you to enjoy them and really see them from the vantage of our mission, which of course is advocacy and education and participation because culture and identity are a big component of this city. And I think we have a very, very uh, wonderful opportunity to learn more about each other in this period of time. The Atlanta History Center has staged Phoenix Flies for nearly 20 years. This is year 18 and you guys never cease to amaze us in finding something new and incredible to showcase. I guess our city has a wonderful history. Not only does it have an incredibly rich history, it has an incredibly rich dynamic. And I think people don't realize that, that Atlanta is not, we, we always, for me, and we're always discussing the identity of Atlanta. Atlanta is rich with identity. The thing about it is we have to be comfortable with it in certain ways and exploring it. And so Phoenix Flies gives us little ways of going into that and finding where we're attracted to certain things. Maybe we're challenged by other things, but doing it in a way that's inviting and not in some way or another um, exclusive. It's very important for people to understand it's ours. It's not yours or mine, it's ours. And we are stewards. And that is extremely important. So Phoenix Flies is also a gateway of understanding how to not only be exposed to these spaces, but appreciate them, explain them, understand them, and make sure that we're doing the right thing if that's possible. Um, so what comes after us is better. And that's really the hope. And so preservation doesn't privilege you with bias. And so it's one of the great things that the Phoenix Flies program really allows people to do is to see a piece of themselves in different places they never thought they were. David, is there something else you wanted to add? I think I want to, most importantly, I want to add that um, how grateful we are for um, Parks and Rec 
for all the things they've been doing during this time to keeping the parks open, clean, available, et cetera. Um, the, the, the remarkable partnerships we've been able to maintain, the people who've worked with us, it's not casual to set things up during a global pandemic, but we've had remarkable, amazing people who have done amazing things and been over backwards to do certain things. And I really would spend the next two hours trying to name every one of them out, but I think the biggest thing is, is that we live in an amazing city with an amazing history and an amazing culture. And we are going to continue to grow the craft of preservation through Phoenix Flies and through this organization. David Mitchell, Executive Director of the Atlanta Preservation Center. Again, Phoenix Flies continues now through March 28th. David, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Perspectives is a community and public affairs program crafted with you in mind. If there's a guest you'd like to hear interviewed or a perspective you think should be explored, let me know. If you're old school, just write me. 1601 West Peachtree Street, Northeast, Atlanta, Georgia, 30309. Or message me via social media. I'm Condos Presley on Facebook, Condo29 on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening. Be sure to listen again next week at this very same time as we examine another perspective. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.